Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast with your host, Evan McElwain. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Evan McElwain, Bowery Capital's Director of Growth. And this week, we're joined by Devin Reed, Head of Content Strategy at Gong, to talk about how to create a winning B2B content strategy. Great to have you on the show, Devin. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate you having me on. For sure. So, Devin, tell us about your background and what you do at Gong. Yes. So my background and what I do at Gong are, are quite different. So I spent the first six years of my career in sales. So I was an individual contributor or a nice, a newer, nicer way to put it, I guess, as a, as a practitioner. I'll take either or. And so, yeah, so I was for most of my career and it was an inception in that I was a salesperson selling sales software to sales leaders. So I got my teeth kicked in a few times. I learned sales acumen pretty quickly, I would say, but it was a phenomenal experience, really enjoyed it. And my most recent sales post was at Gong, where I was the second sales hire back in 2017. That was back when there's no verticals, no segments, just sell to anyone uh, who it makes sense to. And then I uh, was on the team as we went into kind of SMB and mid-market enterprise, et cetera. So I took on the mid-market along with my peer. And then I like to joke, I must have, you know, I must have hit my head really hard last <laughs> May because I got married and moved into marketing in the same month. And so now I'm head of our content strategy, which includes the planning and execution uh, of our content strategy, both for brand growth and demand. And that includes thought leadership, which is our Gong Labs, a series, social media, email marketing, our podcast, and most things in between. Definitely an interesting move. You don't see, at least I don't hear of that often of folks who have several years of sales experience moving into to marketing. So it must give you a pretty interesting perspective in that role now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've been at companies where there was you know virtually no marketing, whether because it was not very well done or because it was just a super young company where there was not a marketer on the team yet, up to large companies that had tons of inbound and a lot of really successful brand building efforts. So yeah, it was interesting to jump over to marketing. And I, I probably wouldn't have done it or at least been as successful had I started marketing to a different audience, right? Like gong sells to salespeople. It's pretty much all I've ever been. So uh, I definitely shortened the learning curve and, and I enjoy, enjoy doing it a lot. Awesome. And one thing we always like to ask Devin is what is one thing that no one listening to this podcast will know about you? I only watch TV and movies with the subtitles on. I will, I will, I will not watch without. And to get a little deeper on what the subtitles are under hot take, the great British baking show on Netflix is some of the best programming available. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Agreed. Agreed. I think I'm one episode behind, but it is phenomenal. It's great. Yeah. We just finished the Japan episode recently and it was it was pretty neat to see all the all the showstoppers there. I was a reluctant fan. My wife has loved it for a few years now and I always rolled my eyes whenever it was on TV and I like pull out my book or headphones because I'm just like, nah, I don't want to watch this. But being on Pat Lee for a couple of weeks, I, I conceded to an episode and I just love the way those Brits give feedback. Yeah. Favorite line is not your best work, is it? Not your best. <laughs> just down to not your best is just this curt way of giving very honest feedback. And for any folks that watch the show, my now lifelong dream is to get a Hollywood handshake. That's so what that's it's all about. Goal now. And I love how well, and this is a good lesson for sales folks as well. I love how well that the contestants take that feedback. They always have such a good sense of humor about it. They've got the humility. They know when it wasn't their best effort and are more than happy to admit it. That is a phenomenal point that I had not picked up on. But yeah, there's no ego in the in that in that competition. Everyone's like, 
yeah, I guess it was trash. And then yeah. just try to do better the next time. So totally. high level of coachability totally. over uh, over in the UK. All right, let's let's get into it. So first things first, let's cover some of the basics. So what is content strategy? What's that even mean? That just seems like such a loaded term. What are we talking about? Yeah, if you really boil it down, the way it's been defined before, and I kind of put my own slight spin on it, essentially, it's the discipline of ideating, creating and measuring content. And then I say in a way that achieves a strategic goal. And so we can kind of talk about that more if you like, but there's a few, we can do it now or later, Ev, but there's a few ways you can kind of decide what a strategic goal is. I, I think in short, there's really no quote unquote, right way to do content strategy. If Because everyone's strategic goals are a little bit different. Everyone's brand and tone is different. And so to me, if it's, if it's methodical, if it's thoughtful and it hits a goal, then it's successful. Got it. I think that's a really succinct way to put it. I'd love to also just dig into when you think about process as it relates to creating that content strategy and going through those steps. Let's talk about the process more broadly, and then we can dive deeper into each individual step if, if that works. So we'd sure. be curious to hear, how do you outline the typical process for creating and executing a B2B content strategy? Yeah, so there's a, there's a good handful of steps. And as I start this off, it's not going to sound super fun right away because I put, even though it's content strategy, I, I think putting the strategy first and being really thoughtful with where you're heading comes before the creativity and the creative, the more fun parts, if you will, depending on who you ask. So again, there's no definitive way. This isn't the only way to do it, but my suggestion is first starting with your brand and your tone. That, that's your character, right? That's who you are as a company and the way that you are perceived by the market and your audience. And so I think that starting with that's really important. Now, you might be a large company or, or even young, young companies have them too, but you might have this defined already. Fantastic. That's kind of like your nucleus. If you don't have one, highly recommend creating one or maybe refreshing yours. If you're like, hey, we're going to do a big investment in our content, but the brand and tone kind of need to refresh. D definitely take the time to do that. So again, starting with who you are, because you want to come across as authentic and you also want to be consistent. From there, it's picking your strategic goal because that's going to be your North Star to determine if your content strategy is successful. And it's also a really great way to show your ELT or your executive leadership team, one, here's why we should invest in it. Maybe if you're at the starting line or, or the prep phase, here's your slide of the top five things the company's trying to do in 2021. If you can tie yourself and your content strategy to one of those things, you're going to get a lot less resistance when you're looking for both support and you know, kind of funding, if you will. Yep, that makes sense. And so for those, I mean, if, and, and if you're listening to this, you might be like a marketing specialist, right? And you're like, I don't even know what that deck is. I work at a 2000 person company. I've maybe never seen that slide. I would say your fallback is just revenue. Maybe that is pipeline sourced. Maybe it's pipeline closed. Maybe it's meetings booked from content, but the closest you can get to revenue, the better off you'll be. And I don't think there's a strategic goal slide that doesn't include increasing so, revenue. It's probably number one. So yeah. like it's a fall, it's a, it's a fail safe. But other strategic goals, again, depends on the company. It could be one for Gong is category creation and support. Could be brand awareness. And there's probably 20 to 50 other strategic goals that you can you can map to. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to, to dig into that. As far as kind of steps here, we've got starting with the brand and the tone, making sure that's defined or, or refreshed if needed. Next, really picking that strategic goal, making sure that you've got sort of the North Star and that you're orienting around that. What, what comes next? Now do we get to the fun stuff, the creative stuff? One more, one more. I know, I know. So you have how you're going to measure success, which is your goal. But 
how you're going to measure success is different than what your strategic goal is, right? You might say, hey, we have no content strategy. Nothing is coming. From, no meetings are coming from content. So maybe it's like, I don't know, 5% pipeline influence or, or sourced is a better one. Source is better in my opinion. Or maybe like sub goals, like it's like, hey, if we're trying to build our brand, that's the goal of this, then maybe it's tracking LinkedIn followers or social media growth or whatever it is. So it's just picking those. And the reason that's important too is strategic goals usually take a long time to really make a substantial dent in or to check it off. And so it's good to have kind of like these smaller sub goals or milestones. So that way, 30, 60, 90 days in, you're going to know if you're on the right track and you're also going to have something to show your uh, executive team like hey we're making progress like stay tuned good things are happening yeah that's, a, that's an interesting point too because that is one of the tricky things with startups right is because you know content's important but you also know it's a long game and you don't have time to wait and see a year from now how you're doing you need some kind of milestones in the interim so that you can have that fast feedback loop and, and keep iterating so excited to dig into that one as well all right so now the fun stuff right or are we <laughs> yes, now are we getting yes. creative now you can, uh, you know, go get your latte or caffeine, get your music going and, and get creative here. So the, the thing that I, I like to do is, is start with your narrative. So what is the problem that your company solves and what's your unique, you know, what is unique about your approach to solving that problem? Because everything that filters down should kind of go to this headline, right? And so like gongs, for example, is category creation is a big part of our new narrative, which is using um, data instead of opinions to solve business challenges at a very, very high level. Because what you want to do is understand that, again, it's kind of your North Star. And so you're starting to understand, okay, what is this we're focusing on? Because in my opinion, the best content solves a problem for your audience. It's not talking about how great your company is, your features, or your high-level thought leadership of where the world's going to be in 20 years. That stuff has a time and a place. But for the most part, people are going to consume content because they want to get better. They want to learn. They want to be more successful in their job. And so you want to, and I'm kind of getting into number five here, is understand your audience. Who are they? What do they care about? And how do they go about solving these problems? Because then what you can start to do is say, okay, how can I match what Evan, who's like in my audience, my target audience, who he is, what he cares about, and what the problems he wants to solve? And how can I map that to the problems that our company solves? And the unique way we go about it, because now you've got this nice melting pot brewing and you can really start to uh, create some compelling content from that. That makes a ton of sense. Are there any others that we should run through as part of the overview? Yeah, I think from there, you, I mean, you, you pick a channel and you pick a single channel. People, you have Some people have a lot of budget, most don't, but it's really tempting to go, okay, we're going to do a video series and then we're going to do a podcast a month later. We're going to do a blog series and you find yourself really strapped for time and resources. So it's pick a channel. Where does your audience consume content? That's the best place to start. And then the last step is very important. How are you going to be different? What is different about the podcast you're going to launch compared to the other 40 for your same target audience or your blog series or whatever it is? And so that unique differentiator, to use a very techie term, is really important because you have to be different. There's so much content out there that more and better just doesn't work. Great. And maybe quickly touch on Devin, how do you think about this process and how it differs depending on various company stages If something somebody's an early stage company, they're just, they're just an upstart versus somebody like a gong who's, who's now created more of a brand and, and is a lot more well-known. And then also just as, as companies get even bigger and you think about the huge enterprises in, in the tech space today, do these steps pretty much hold true or, or is there a lot of variation? I believe that they stay true. The difference is probably where are you along in your own path or journey? You know what I mean? It's like, 
Uh, if you've had a content strategy, maybe it's not a very good one. Maybe it's been a mindful, it's been thoughtful, but just not effective. You might have some of these steps done, like who your brand and tone is. You know, you might have a lot of these pieces, but the puzzle isn't fitting correctly. Or you might just be really early and go, I just got a series A. I'm ready to invest in content, but I, I'm at step one. Right. So the steps right. are relatively the same. It's just a matter of kind of how, where you're at. If you've got any of those boxes already. Yeah, it makes sense. Sometimes you're creating it literally from scratch. Other times it just needs more of a refresh or, or a polish. This next one you've kind of already touched on, but you know, is there anything notable about how this process, these steps that you take, this kind of method that you follow and how it changes depending on the ICP and buyer persona that you're going after? You mentioned a big piece here is figuring out you know, what channels to use and really finding the channel that's going to be the best place to start. I'd assume that obviously is going to change depending on where they like to consume content. Anything else of note as it relates to to sort of your, your ICP and, and buyer persona? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest temptations is to say, hey, I'm a, I'm a great writer, right? I'm the only marketer, content marketer at this company, and I'm a phenomenal writer. And so I'm going to just do you know, written content on medium. Cause that's also what I like. I like medium. I consume on medium, but that might not be where your ICP consumes content. Now written might be a bad example because I think most people read, but maybe <laughs> they're not on medium, right? Like right. not right. everyone's on medium. So like pick the, you know, channel that they're going to like meet them where they are. Don't try to pull them somewhere else. If I build it, they will come. Yeah. They may never come and it might be years. You might be out of a job before you know right. they, they get there. And then the other thing too, is if you're thinking kind of like above or below the line, right? Cause then there's folks like, Hey, we, we can talk to managers. We can talk to directors or C-level that's important too. And that's usually a little bit down the line. Cause like I just said, pick one thing, do it really well. And then expand for, for gone. We've been really successful on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and that's because salespeople are on LinkedIn all the time. There's like yep. LinkedIn sales solution. They're literally there all the time, but it's a leans a little bit more towards like the IC managerial level. And so when we wanted to build a channel that was specifically for VP and above, we started to look at the numbers, look at the data, but then we also did some, just some quick interviews with CROs, who, is our, who we wanted listening to this new channel. And we was like, hey, who do you listen to? Where do you get content? And then also, where do you not get content? Like, where do you avoid? And- Like, what's the anti-channel? Yeah. Yeah, where, yeah, where you never. And the answer was, I never sign up for marketing emails, like a company, mm. not going to do that. But I do subscribe to emails that are like third party. So uh, I think it was like PitchBook. This one person was like, I'll, I'll submit to their email marketing because they're going to give me like a digest and I trust them to give me unbiased information. Mm. Okay. That's some important stuff to think. And then the other thing we heard was, you know, podcasts. This was before the pandemic. People were at C-suites are always on the move. Time is very limited. He's like on, the, on our train rides, when we're on planes, walking the dog, anytime I can consume information really easily, audibly. So nice. what do we do? Launch the podcast, right? And it's like fits them where they exactly. are. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's just a quick example, but that's what it's, it's worth doing some interviewing and some fact finding upfront because it's going to be heartbreaking if you put in all the right effort in all the wrong places six months later. The point is spot on around don't let your own skills and experiences and biases seep into the strategy because if if right. that's the way it works out and that is the right strategy, then even better because you already have that skill set. But it is all too common, not even just within content marketing folks, but just in sales in general, right? Like people leaning on yeah. the channels that they know best. You see it with folks coming in and thinking, oh, well, I know how to spin up a really good outbound team and an, out an outbound is the channel. I know how to build that out. So we're just going to go do that. 
Exactly. Not really thinking about, well, is that actually the right method to reach the persona that we're going after? So it's a super important lesson there. Yeah. I, I was talking to a marketing director the other day and she was like, we have a decent LinkedIn following, but I know our audience is on Twitter, but I don't know anything about Twitter. So should I build on LinkedIn or should I build on Twitter? And I was like, I think the answer. Twitter. I think yeah. you know what you have to do. do. It. She's like, yeah. damn it. I just <laughs> wanted you to tell me LinkedIn. So I was justified in doing it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we quickly kind of go a little bit deeper into, into each of these steps? If there's any other big, you know, takeaways, things that folks should think about, and 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 then we can go from there. Sure. Number one, start with the brand and tone, define it, refresh it if needed. Do people just do like figure this out themselves through user discovery and, you know, really thinking about what's their mission and values and what they stand for and where do they want to be? You bring in a marketing company to do this for you. I mean, what, what, do I, what do I do? Yeah, this can be a very daunting task or you can just make it a pretty simple task or a more simple task. So most companies, I haven't been at one yet that doesn't have a mission statement. So mm -hmm. I think that should be a safe haven to get going. And what you want to start to do is just kind of break this apart, right? So here's a really easy way to go about tone. And this is you know, how you're going to write, how you're going to present yourself is start a, we are this, we are not that mm. list and, and limit it to about three to five. And the first three should be very meaningful. So for example, we are authoritative, but we are not know-it-alls. We are lighthearted, but we are not silly. Right, you start to get this in. So you do this for three or five and then you just refine it, talk to your team. And uh, if you have one, if you're a lone soldier, then ask someone. And then you'll start to feel, okay, cool. This is how we're going to write. This is how we're going to create videos. Some people use a lot of graphics and they're very bubbly. That doesn't really work in like financial services, right? It's a little right. more dry, a little more to the point. And so that's really important because you, again, as marketers, a lot of us are, are on that bubblier creative side. And it's really easy, like we we're just saying, is to reflect who you are in the content, but you're not being you. I'm not being Devin. I'm being the company, right? So right. it's different. And so again, that's just like a really quick one. To be honest, I've done it before. There are a ton of, res of uh, resources online, mm. phenomenal resources of like 12 steps to define your brand and your tone. Of course, there's a consultant for anything if you need help. So I'm sure there's a marketing consultant I can help. Uh, I'm one of them, but you, you don't necessarily need it. Like you can yeah. spend a day or two and really hammer this out and then have something to go with. Because again, you don't want to say, hey, Devin, I listen to this podcast. You said seven steps. I've been stuck at step one for four weeks. I think that makes a lot of sense. And just doing that quick exercise, it also probably ends up saving you a lot of time with these later steps of actually creating the content itself. Because instead of having to mull over every little tone decision here and there, you can just refer back to your sheet, your list. Okay, does this align? Does it not? And, and move forward. Exactly. Cool. All right, so next one firing through these. So strategic goal, revenue is a good fallback. Sounds like really, if your company's small enough, or if at least you're close enough to the top, talking to your other executives, getting a good sense of how this can fit into the broader strategic goals. Any other tips when it comes to this step? No, I would just say if you're, if you're a leader, I would say lean towards being transparent. Let folks see what the company is, what, what's happened to those senior leadership meetings, because when it's transparent, people have a clear view of how they're impacting the business and it will help them make better decisions. And they'll also have more empowerment. They're going to feel like they're part of moving the needle forward because they understand where the ship is headed. So I would say, don't, don't fear from some being transparent, just the same. If you're on the other side of that coin, you're like, I've never seen this slide or I don't feel comfortable asking my CMO. I'm hard pressed to think that a CMO would be uninterested in someone who came to them and say, Hey, I want to do more for the company. I want to be strategic, but I need to understand 
what you care about. Can we have right. 15 to 30 minutes just to help me see what's going on here? Yeah. And then offline is where you get to number three on your own, which is how can I measure success? Right. right. So it's like picking of those of those things. It's kind of like, okay, maybe it's direct revenue. If you're getting started, it's probably not going to be revenue right away because that could take time depending on how long your sales cycle is, especially. But maybe, you know, you're just like, okay, if revenue is the only thing on this slide that I see I could impact in any way, then set a goal in the first 30 days, quarter, half of the year, how many meetings or how much pipeline are we going to source? Yep. Because you come to any CEO and say, hey, January 2021, we were making you know zero, uh, zero pipeline came from content. And now we've got $500,000 and two deals closed for 40 grand. It'll look a whole lot better. Yeah. And then do you kind of build off of that over time? So let's say, for instance, beginning, you got zero data. So you're like, all right, great. I'm going to go on pipeline source, pipeline influence, whatever I can really get my hands on and and, and prove out. And then over time, let's say traditionally, you're more outbound. And so now that you're bringing these inbound deals with content, prospects are self-educating more. Ideally, they're converting at a higher rate, we would assume. Now, like maybe conversion rate is another, and you're like, oh, wow, like I'm, I'm bringing in not only more deals, but higher quality deals that are moving through our sales cycle faster. Sales velocity is higher. We're really running on multiple different levels here. And you're kind of evolving it over time as you get more data. The, the listeners can't see me. I am just nodding profusely. Yes, all of those things are 100% accurate. You, you start where you can and you iterate as you go. And that's like in my role here, every quarter or two, we shift the metric a little bit. Wow. And at first it was its number of uh, opportunities generated. Well, started with MQLs. It was like, how many MQLs can we get? Okay. How many opportunities are generated? Now it's, can we do it across all segments evenly? Then it's deal size. It's like exactly as you said, as your yeah. content strategy is successful, it will mature and therefore your metrics will mature alongside of it. Right. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense. All right, cool. So that that brings us down through sort of the first half of, of the process. Let's talk a little bit about narrative. One piece here that I really liked is that when you were talking about content and the point and kind of how you look at the goal of it as solving problems. And, I, and when I hear that, I hear something different than kind of what you normally hear, which is add value and just have content that adds value. Solving problems to me seems a little bit more specific and, and actionable. So we'd love for you to expand on that and any other thoughts you have on, on tips on how to kind of go about creating this narrative. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with quote-unquote ad value. And here's why. Value is in the eye of the beholder. So a marketer can think, this is value. This is so good. This is like hot, hot off the press. And then it can flop because it's actually not value to your audience. And so I get it. I'm not saying don't, don't use the word that value. I get where we're headed, folks. But yeah. I think you need to be more specific, like you said, which is solving a problem. And so this is, again, like I, I do our, our top of funnel demand gen content. This is not product marketing. And so we have had a lot more success saying, hey, here are these unanswered questions that salespeople have struggled with. Or in our case, our, the sales audience is always very interested in getting better mm-hmm. and make more money. So what if we provided content that helped them uh, do their job more effectively and provide it in an entertaining way and a different way? So all three different things. Well, that's worked really well because here's the thing. Now, when you see Gong's content, you're not, you, you don't expect, you haven't been conditioned that Devin's going to, here's five tips for better cold calls. And number two is buy Gong. 
right? You're like, <laughs> that's like, and that's what a lot of content marketers do. It's like, here's five ways to throw the best SKO. One, get a great speaker. Two, buy our software. Three, and it's like- <laughs> Three, that's upsell our software. Four, buy our professional services. Our organization, <laughs> like, yeah. yes. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, okay, now if we go back to adding value, there's some value and there's some right. value that's only you know specific to one one side of the it's coin. It's so here. true. It's so true. So, yeah. so we don't do any of that. We don't do any of that. And so what we do instead is okay, if we know it's uh the beginning of the year, like 2021, right? We're doing our content planning. What is our audience focused on at the beginning of the year? Salespeople specifically. Well, they have no pipeline. The year just closed. They're in a fresh year, fresh quarter, fresh month. They have no pipe, you know, or some pipeline. They have no uh, revenue in the bank. So they're working on demand or uh, pipeline gen. So we provide content that helps them where they're at right now, which is how to have a better cold call, how to have better emails, how to have better discovery calls, how to forecast deals the first half of the year, things that are very specific to right now. And the reason why is if you can describe the problem that they have better than they can, they're going to assume that you have the solution. So right. if people say, okay, Devin's content, Gong's content is how, helping me have better sales conversations, it's helping me move deals along better. They're going to assume that the software does that too. Otherwise, it would right. be so, you know, it wouldn't match at all. It's tempting to put number two by our software, but I promise you by removing that and just helping solve problems, people will come to you and they'll also be a lot more warmed up because like, yeah, Gong's been helping me for six months when I was a first time sales manager. I learned a lot from what I, I do now. My methodology comes from them. Yeah. You guys want to demo me? Of course. Yeah. I really like that point. I see it misconstrued all the time. People place the emphasis on, I need to connect my content to what we do, but they take it too far and they connect it too literally. And they don't let yeah. the audience kind of connect the dots themselves based on being an authority in their specific space and solving the problems of the people that are actually consuming the content. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the solving the problem. But back to kind of the narrative, right? In And being different, those are the same for us. And they probably should be you know, tied together for others as well. But Gong's narrative right now is revenue intelligence. That means using data instead of opinions to make decisions and drive revenue. Banner, put it in you know, lights, that's the front of the show. Which probably resonates, right? They're probably, oh yeah, I actually have heard that before. To a degree, you'd be surprised. Some people, yes, some people, no. Because you have folks in sales that are very data-driven, your analytical folks. It's kind of a bit of a newer breed, I would say, for the most mm. part, not, all, not always. But then also a big thing in sales is trusting your gut. I know a good deal when I see one. I know a good account when I see it. I was that guy too. It's 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 rampant, right? And so we're not swinging the pendulum the opposite way and going, Evan, leave your gut at home. We've got all the data. Just trust the data. That That's not it either. We believe in it's both, but it shouldn't be exclusively opinions or, or your gut, right? And so Gong, we, we show analytics. We believe in data. So our differentiator going to what's different tying these two together is we tell data-driven stories. So we help you solve problems. And it's not Devin saying, hey, I've made a thousand cold calls in my career. Here's the five things you should do. It's, hey, we looked at 500,000 cold calls and our data science team found these five indicators of success. And then we tell a story wrapped around that. So by the time you're done reading it, you're like, wow, this is hopefully entertaining and very insightful. Now I can go back to my job after a 10 minute break, five minute break from consuming this content. And Gong made me better in some way, shape or form. All right, so let's maybe bucket the next two together, understanding your audience and picking a channel because I think they're very closely intertwined. Any thoughts here as people drill down and they think, okay, how do I actually execute on this? Yeah, there's so many different channels. There's, you know, We've got a couple of different personas. What are your thoughts here as, as folks are at this stage of the process? Yeah, so 
I mean, again, so for understanding our audience, I think we've covered problems. So you, you understand yep. who they are and what they care about. Now it's making sure you go to the bar that they hang out at, right? It's like going, going to where they are. So you also want to tie that with your strength as much as possible, but you might not be able to control that to start, but you can control it when you're hiring. So again, you want to think of, Hey, are, does, does our audience hang out on Twitter or LinkedIn? Because these are going to be your promotional channels. You're not going to live there exclusively, but you're going to need to use it to build your brand and to promote. And so that's a big part of it. And then the other part is starting to understand, I'll use sales because it's Gong lives in sales. Like are the sales blogs really popular? Yeah, they're huge. There's like hundreds of thousands or millions of them, which part of you, part of you could be like, well, then we're not going to stand out. Like, how are you even going to get on page one? Right. Right. That's where that's where different comes into play, though. You know what I mean, you're not mm -hmm. trying to just do another sales blog. You're trying to do a right. different sales blog. My wife has a lot of experience in makeup. She used to make makeup videos on YouTube. Makeup videos are huge on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like other than like kids and baby shark videos. If any people have kids, you know exactly what that is. Just just became the most watched video of all time on YouTube, by the way. But is is like makeup videos is like number two or three. Like there's millions of them and they get millions of hours of play every single year. So if I'm going into cosmetics, I'm not writing a blog. I'm going to go on YouTube and do video content, right? Mm. So you just need to do some research there and understand where you're going to have the best bang for your buck. Got it. And one point I love, which I think people don't necessarily always differentiate between the two is channel in terms of what medium are you using, are you using video or using written or using audio, like a podcast, but also distribution. And how are you promoting that? And are you promoting that on LinkedIn? Cause that's where salespeople live. Or are you promoting that on Reddit? Or are you promoting it on the Twitter? You kind of need to tackle both. Like what is the right form that people, my target likes to consume this? And then also where can they actually go to find it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like going to the cosmetics one, I, I might've said my wife is into makeup, which sounds incorrect. She was, she would create videos showing people how to apply makeup. But the key thing there is that was a content created on YouTube and distributed on Instagram mm. versus Gong is writing something on LinkedIn and promoting it via LinkedIn and email. Right. You might be on medium using email to promote, right? So you, yep. I like that you differentiated that there's where it kind of is generated and lives and then there's how it finds you those are usually cool. two different things cool yeah that's super helpful all right last step being different you guys have obviously done a really good job at this at gong tips for folks that are looking at their space and saying wow this is competitive there's a lot of content already out there how are we going to be different are you just brainstorming with your team trying to get creative are you going out and doing research are you trying to pull from other industries and what's interesting is there any kind of creative process that can help folks out here yeah absolutely so one and i do this from time to time is i look at all the content being created in the sales space so i just look what are they talking about again so let's think of topics think of what are they trying to tell what story are they telling who are they targeting where are they publishing this right all these different things some of it you want to do the stark opposite of and some you mm -hmm. need to play along with like Again, we'll just use LinkedIn. LinkedIn is would be a fool. It'd be foolish to not take advantage right. of LinkedIn. But you can also see the way people are telling stories. Like I, I'm just going to spitball here. A lot of interview podcasts are pretty popular, mm -hmm. right? Gongs is too. We have an interview podcast. It's not unique in that way, right? But what we tried to do was we listened to a bunch of podcasts and we listened to podcasts that are not for B two B for the consumers. Like Joe, not Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, but storytelling story podcast. Yeah. yeah, what do they do? Like listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, even if you disagree with him and his style, I guarantee you there's something you could steal. Yeah. 
if you listen to Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, they have a fact check that's like 45 minutes of riffing at the end of a great interview. Very <laughs> personable, right? Yeah. And so what we did is we we're like, okay, interview podcasts aren't that unique at all. But what we started to do is take data and we had these breakouts. So it'll be in the middle of our interview, Evan, and it'll say the music changes and it goes, okay, Evan just talked about building a content strategy. We look to XYZ source, found mm -hmm. XYZ insight. Do this like two minute snippet that, you know, one supports the, the claim that the speaker just made or the point being made, but two, it also reflects our differentiator that we use on Gong Labs. It's using data, right? So, so it marries and that's how all these things. Yeah, fits into the same narrative. The same. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I hate that. It's a cliche. It's like, don't be afraid to be different. Be bold in being different. Like when you present it, like this is what we're going to do. And someone's like, but no one else does that. Like that's exactly perfect. Right. That's exactly the response I wanted. Thank you, Tim. We're doing it. Yeah. Right. And so to kind of to, to truncate there, I'd say one's look at look at B2B, look to B2C, excuse me, look at what consumer content does, look at the world's best content, pick and pull from there. And, and that'll help you kind of navigate in and etch out your own niche. That's super helpful. Thanks for taking us through the deep dive of each one. I think to me, that just makes it that much easier to action. And you realize, okay, these things can't all be broken down into smaller parts. There is always a lighter lift, kind of quick and dirty solution like you shared. And, and so makes it toward there's no excuse, like get going. Let's talk a little bit about early stage companies, startups that are just getting started. From my experience working with early stage B2B SaaS founders all day long, what I find is that folks do want to be consistent with their content. They they understand that it's important. They get that it's as a critical component to you know long-term pipeline generation and overall building their brand, but they just don't have the luxury of a big team and all these other resources. I'd love to just get your take on, are there any hacks or ways that folks can peel some of these things off, whether it's using a freelancer, or hiring consultants like yourself, are there pieces here that you can outsource and, and to take some of the time and lift off of your plate and, and so that it's easier to be consistent, or do you just need to time management, carve out the time, make it a priority and, and execute heads down? It would be a better answer if I could just say, do this only and ignore everything else. The honest answer is you have to do a little bit of everything that you just said. And so to, to get it started, I would say is you need CEO or CMO buy-in. You need someone at the top saying, yes, I believe in this. Here's the resources. Here's the support. And you can go do it. I have that at Gong. Meet our CEO was a CMO for 15 years. And our CMO is huge on content and brand building. So I very specifically give them credit for a lot of my success because it'd be such an uphill battle if you don't have that. So that, that's key. The other part you mentioned is kind of like where to focus. Should I outsource? No one's going to look down on you if you outsource some stuff. Mm. No one ever read the best blog, read a blog and was like, man, this is fantastic. But if Evan used a freelancer, then I don't feel this way anymore. Right. Like no one, right. <laughs> no one right. even thinks once about it. Right. So, Everybody's got a ghostwriter anyways. So <laughs> I tell you what, if you didn't know before, folks, most people things that you read has a ghostwriter. Most people in the C-suite didn't write it. Nope. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. It's okay. Most of your favorite artists didn't write their songs either. So honestly, though, here, here's my kind of philosophy for it. So I have a team of, of freelancers. No, no consultants, but all freelancers, but everyone does one specific task for me. So for example, I cannot edit video. I can't do it well, and it's very time consuming. So the best use of my time isn't learning video production. It's hiring Dan. Dan's my video guy. He's, he's phenomenal. And so I carve out some of my limited budget for Dan, because I know it's very important that these videos, if we're going to put the time into make a video, they need to look really good or different. 
so that people consume them, right? And I have that one for that. I have one for audio uh, editing. I have one. For, there's someone for something. Every, but it's very niche. It's very. It's one thing. And so the the other part of this is every single one of those persons I just mentioned, they are way better than me at that thing, and I would hire them if I could or if I needed them. And I mean, like if I needed a full time video producer, if I needed a mm -hmm. full time editor in chief. I know who I would hire. I've been working with them for a long time. So I think that's really important too, because no, no knock to like Fiverr or Upwork. There's some phenomenal talent on those websites. You know, those people are not nearly as committed to your success as you are. And a lot of times they're not as quality as what you need if you really want to stand out and build something really special. So that's why I would say just be really selective in what you outsource and who you trust with your content. One other thing I'm curious to, to pick your brain on, Devin, is how do you think about balancing quantity and quality because with different company strategies you see the full spectrum and you see people posting just absolute spam on linkedin every single day and then you see companies that are much more selective and post on a less aggressive less obnoxious cadence one thing i would actually compliment gong on here is i feel like with your content i, I don't see a bunch of noise it, it really does seem like I never see a post where I'm like, oh, they just posted that because they were trying to you know, hit their weekly goal or, or what have you. It, there seems to be a, a really high bar set for your quality threshold. And so I'd love to just get your take on how you balance quality and quantity. Does that balance change over time as your audience grows? How should people think about this? Yeah, it's a great point. And I appreciate the the kind words. So when I started on the marketing team, it was just myself, a few, few of those freelancers mentioned, but they weren't writing social copy, just to use that as an example. And so my thought was exactly what you said about noise, like you see it, like how how, how high is your tolerance for noise, right? You, you just hit unfollow, like if you hit two crappy posts, yeah. or very self centered posts from a company, or even an individual, potentially, you just hit unfollow, and you don't even think twice, you're just like, this is bad. I don't want bad Get it out of here. Yeah. Out. So I know that's true. Something I always tell myself is your last marketing touch could be your last marketing touch, meaning your most previous one could be your final. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, when it was just myself, I might only post once or twice a week, maybe once or twice a day max, but I put a lot of thought into it. I tried really hard. If I'm going to take the time to do it and you're going to give me your time and attention, it needs to be worthwhile. And so I've always held quality over quantity. Right. One becomes a noise. The only time where you can get to a point where you're doing a high volume of high quality is like you said, is you set the bar. Then we say, that's our new baseline. Like our best is now at our normal. We need to continue to build on that, continue to do better. And we do have a strategy in place for social. And we do have a number of posts that we try to post per week because we know that if we post that many high quality posts, we get XYZ out. We know that that engine works. That said, there's very low tolerance for poor writing. Luckily, no one on my team is a poor writer. No one's just hitting send to hit send. But if we see a post in our weekly wrap up, we're like, hey, this one doesn't really feel quite, you know, didn't really hit the mark, low engagement, doesn't really sound like us. We just use that as a coaching opportunity. And we say, okay, great. Now let's get into our copywriting you know, exercise and see what we can do better. So that, that's kind of one specific example. But the, the other thing though, is once you find some success, it's easy to go, oh, there's water in this spigot. Okay, let's turn it all the way on. Like, let's just launch it. I, I don't know, Evan, are you familiar with the, the street clothing brand or skate brand uh, Supreme? Yeah, of course. Sure. Okay. They're huge. I kind of just described it. It's a street brand. But a key to their success was high quality items at limited availability. So they would have lines around the block. It would literally, hoodies would sell out within a fraction of a second online. And the reason why a big part of their success, while the clothing's, you know, it's very cool, it's very trendy, 
it's you had a limited time to consume it. I mean, you didn't, you couldn't go to, you know, Macy's and get a Supreme t-shirt any day of the week, any hour too much, again, too much of a good thing. It was very limited. And so that's why I think it was really successful. We try to do the same thing, put out a really great video once a week or once a month. So when people come, they're like, wow, this is really great. If you put out a great video every single day, even someone who loves you is going to be like, eh, by Thursday, I've got other stuff, man. I've, I've got my fill. I'm, I'm good. And so that's why I think it's really important to, to balance those two things out and put a heavy focus on quality because that's what's going to build your brand and have people coming back for more. So one other thing I wanted to dig in, especially just given Gong's brand and the way that they go about content and the way folks get so engaged is I want to talk about creating buzz because this is something that I think Gong is uniquely good at. Whenever a big piece comes out, for I'll use like the interest call to action as an example, because that one continues to come up on my feed. When a piece like that comes out, LinkedIn just goes nuts. You've got like gongers that are posting left and right. They're commenting on other people's posts. Other sales professionals are sharing it. And, and the, the folks at Gong that are getting excited about it, they're not just copy pasting something that like your marketing team sent out. It, they seem to all be using a unique voice and kind of adding their own flavor and making it their own. I get that like now your content has a reputation it does, why it goes so far with the broader sales community, but how do you all create such enthusiasm and such like a culture and, and virality around your content internally? Because I, I honestly, I'm not just saying this, I can't think of another company that replicates that in, in terms of just like how amped people get. Well, I, I appreciate that. And it's, uh, it is very purposeful, but to be honest, it's a side, the, the quality of the content doesn't really have to do with, it does, but it doesn't have to do with gongsters supporting it. Right. And so it's a question I get all the time is as a content creator, how can I get my salespeople to buy in, to engage and to share? Well, the first part is quality. We create content for salespeople. So luckily our salespeople also enjoy the content. So that does make it easy. I know most people don't have that benefit, but the other thing is there's, there's kind of twofold. So one is periodically we will do workshops of Q and A getting started on LinkedIn. So you're probably like, you join Gong and you're like, well, this guy, Devin like posts a lot. He's letting me know that this post went out. If you'd like to engage, that'd be great. Why is he doing that? And, and then you have that all the way to I'm new in sales and I'd love someone to teach me LinkedIn, right? So mm -hmm. I do these, these workshops from time to time. So people feel comfortable and know what the expectation is at Gong. Here's the big secret. You want to know? Everyone thinks that this is true, but it's not. No one is forced to write on LinkedIn at Gong. Mm -hmm. I do not send them copy and say, you have to write this. What I do is I just lead by example, because aside from the Gong content, they see me writing posts, they see our CMO, they see all these leaders, all these people. So they feel more comfortable writing. And that's mm -hmm. why they read the content and go, oh, this is well, it resonates with me. And they kind of tell their own unique story. The, the other aspect is we share the strategy of how and why we're promote on LinkedIn and the whole content strategy we just walked through as part of people's onboarding process. So they know from the jump, we know who marketing is, what role it plays in the company, what the strategy is, why they're being tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, if you read this post, can you share all that good stuff? But there's no uh, stick. And that's why it's authentic, right? You can't force someone to share content authentically. It just doesn't come across as much. So that's how it's been so successful in that way. And of course, as you, as you mentioned, it helps with the organic reach. I mean, organic reach on LinkedIn is, is underutilized by most companies and we've kind of just figured that out. Cool. Yeah, I really like that. And I love the idea of actually enabling new employees and teaching them not only why it's important, but how to do it well, because that helps their own personal branding. And, and there's yeah. really a kind of what's in it for me component there. I know we're coming up on time. I want to touch briefly on content gating. I hear so many different opinions here. What's your take on if and when companies should gate content? And would love your thoughts around that. 
I would never gate content if I could track perfectly everyone that consumed my content and who they were. I am a revenue focused marketer and I need email addresses, unfortunately. So content does get gated. That said, I always try to create the content in a way that if you give me your email address, Evan, you should leave feeling like you would have paid for that content. Like hindsight, I would have paid 10 bucks for that. I'd paid five bucks, hundred, who cares? Yeah. And so the, the last thing we ever want to do is like, you give me your email address, you get the content. You're like, this isn't very good. And I feel like I got uh, tricked a little bit or baited and switched. So again, leading with quality, that's super important. The way that we decide what gets gated and doesn't is we typically do kind of like a content tease. So if we go back to the post that you had mentioned about the CTAs, and for those who might not be familiar, we did a research post on the most effective CTA or call to action to use for a cold email. And it was 2x interest. If you ask people if you're interested in the conversation versus time, you have 2x the success. So that's the whole post. The whole post is revealing that data and giving some context around how, why this is true. Now, that was 100% free. You can still go on LinkedIn, go check it out. It's free. But the CTA of the blog was, if you want, you can download for free 43 highly effective CTAs that follows the science that we just told you. So if you're reading this, you're like, wow, this is real, hopefully, wow, this is really insightful. Oh, this is really interesting. I now want to use these new type of CTAs. And then there's this big banner that says, here they are, download them now. So then, and that was by far, I think by far one of our most effective pieces of content this year, I think it's around like seven or 10,000 downloads. Like it's been very successful. And that's because it leads right into it. Now, if we had flipped it and I had a landing page and it was a paragraph saying, here's the problem. You don't know which CTA is best. I know which one's best. But if you want the answer, you have to give me your email address. Well, now you're at a crossroad. Do you trust right. Gong? Do you really trust Devin that he's going to give right. you something? And you're probably like, nah, <laughs> you just move on, right? And, you, and we do this all the time. We don't think about it, but there's tons of landing pages and things we click and we go, Nah, I don't really, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think there's something beneficial for me on the backside. So we give up front. And then if you want more, then we provide that behind a gate. It's really that simple. And Devin, so last question, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see folks make when they're creating and executing their content strategy? I would say one doing, I talked about it, but doing too much too fast. So mm -hmm. multiple campaigns or multiple programs, channels right away. I would say the other probably biggest one, if you left with one mistake not to make, I would say not being different or being timid in being different. It's really easy to look at your biggest three competitors and go, I can do that a little bit better. It won't shake out that way. See what they're doing, take a hard left turn, do something completely different, do it high quality. Before you know it, they'll start copying you. Awesome. Well, Devin, that, that was a ton of fun. We covered a lot of ground and really appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. Likewise. And that's our show. So if you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.